And hello again, everybody, and welcome to Strategic Insights Radio. This broadcast is being sponsored by Sterling Rose Consulting Corps and hosted by the CEO of Sterling Rose Consulting Corps, Vlad Ruse. Vlad is a serial entrepreneur who currently owns four companies, ranging from just under two years of age to seven years old, with net revenues of $175,000 to over $5 million. Today's show, we'll talk about what a small business needs to know about payroll processes and procedures. Vlad? Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Business Radio X. Today's Strategic Insights Radio is proud to introduce Mark Kempner, who's a payroll specialist. Um, Mark has a bachelor's in accounting, is a FPC certified, which uh, means fundamentals of uh, payroll certifications. In addition uh, to working in human resource and in the payroll industry, his uh, current specialty is working with companies ranging from 1 to 49 employees. Thank you for being on the show. Um, and uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, be on Strategic Insights Radio, which is sponsored by Sterling Rose Consulting. There are so many aspects of business a small business owner needs to understand, and payroll is definitely one of them. Uh, for those that are not aware, failure to execute payroll can not only result in fines from the government, but can also even result in business closure. Uh, what we're going to talk about today are some critical things that companies need to understand about payroll and what they need to do in order to reduce the likelihood of errors and penalties. Uh, now, the first topics I want to discuss is exempt versus non-exempt employees. Mark, as a payroll specialist, you probably come across this issue from time to time where companies are incorrectly categorizing employees. Sure. Yep. Vlad, of course, thank you for having me. Mike, thanks for having me on the air as well. Um, but yes, to answer your question, the Fair Labor Standards Act, or for short, the FLSA, sets federal requirements for exempt employees who are excluded from the Act's overtime pay prov provisions. Employees who are not excluded are labeled as non-exempt and qualify for overtime if they work more than 40 hours for the week. Now, some people might be aware that on March 13 of 2014, President Obama signed a presidential memorandum directing the Department of Labor to update the regulations defining which white-collar workers are protected by the FLSA's minimum wage and overtime standards uh, and which ones are not. Can you provide some insight into the new ruling and how businesses are affected by this new classification? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and start with the current standards. So as I explained, you have exempt employees and non-exempt employees. Currently, exempt employees, there's a few different uh, markers on a checklist to make sure you have an exempt employee. They have to be a salaried employee. There's a threshold of $455 a week that they have to make, or they can make $100,000 annually for highly compensated employees. They could also receive full salary regardless of quantity or quality of work. And they these exempt employees, again, are not entitled to overtime and they must meet specific duties tests. Now you have your non-exempt employees on the other side. These are the ones that are entitled to overtime. They receive, they have to receive at least the minimum wage and they are exempt, they are entitled to overtime for hours worked for more than 40 hours a week. 
and I should disclose that is a, it's a state by state case. So in some states, um, for instance, California, the overtime is actually calculated on a daily basis. Anytime over eight hours in the day, they would be up to, they would be qualified for um, overtime. Now, some of the changes, and of course, that all applies to W-2 employees, which we'll get into later, W-2 versus 1099. Um, now, the proposed changes that you you said that Obama or President Obama had talked about, um, the salary threshold for exempt employees would increase from $455 a week to $970 a week. That highly compensated employee salary would increase from $100,000 a year to $122,148 a year. Um, and those rates, there is a there is a formula involved in creating those and they will be subject to automatic annual increases. Um, the Department of Labor estimates that as many as 4.6 million workers would need to be reclassified. If passed, employers may need to consider reclassifying their formerly exempt employees as non-exempt and pay them overtime on hours worked over 40 hours. Now, what are business owners going to have to do for this? They're going to have to raise their salaries to meet that minimum minimum requirement threshold so you know you're getting your highly paid um, employees they're basically going to have to get twenty two thousand hundred dollar and forty eight hundred forty eight dollar raises in order to negate this overtime exactly and and a lot of this goes back to the fact that just that the big jump in the threshold of just that it hasn't happened for quite a long time mm -hmm. and the last threshold was really set back in the 70s so it's just a matter of kind of catching up with the inflation and the increase in overall uh what people need to live on obviously that's been a big issue in uh discussing the minimum wages throughout all the different states of what people should be earning and what's a livable wage versus the minimum wage absolutely now also the next question i wanted to get into as you mentioned what's what's the difference between independent contractors which would be w9 versus employees which would be w4 from a recent press release by the u.s department of labor they've said that employee misclassification is obviously a grown issue and as it pertains to independent contractors in 2015 they noted that they collected more than 1.7 million in back wages from employers who misclassified their employees as independent contractors to make sure that our listeners understand what that difference is i also wanted to go through what some of the requirements are in order to properly identify whether an employee is an independent contractor or whether they should be classified as an employee and run through payroll sure so let's start with at the very core of classif classifying a 1099 versus a W-2. The very core, what you're looking at is, as the payer, do they dictate the outcome of the job or do they dictate the process of the job? That's number one. Now, the IRS, and it, it's kind of quirky, but the IRS, they've published a W-2 versus 1099 
basically question and answer sheet. And per the IRS's words, it's 20 questions. And if in general you answer no to questions 1 through 16 and yes to questions 20, 17 to 20, you, you probably have a 1099. That kind of sits you where you're at. Now, let me get into some of the questions. Um, some of the big ones. Does the, does the payee, the employee in this case, does the employee refer to you as boss, you being the payer? Are you their boss? Do you set when they appear and how long they appear for? Do you provide them with their tools? Are they using your tools or are they bringing their own tools to get the job done? Does the individual have to give you any sort of reports, required reports like, hey, this is where I'm at today, that kind of thing? Um, Do you have the right to discharge the individual? May the individual terminate his services at any time? Um, Just a couple questions. And then, you know, honestly, some more are... Are they paid by the hour, the week, or the month, or by the job? Do you reimburse the individual for business travel expenses? Do you supply the individual with needed tools or materials? Now, these are all questions that you can find on an IRS form. 20-point questions. So, um, you know, that's one way to classify. That's that's one way to classify it for you. Um, And then, again, as you said, one of the reasons that... um, this is such a serious issue is that many, many employers are on the mindset of, oh, they'll never catch it. Oh, this will never happen to me, that kind of thing. So they're looking to um, they're looking to skirt any sort of payroll taxes, payroll liability um, in any way that they can. And some believe that misclassifying employees is a way to do that in the Department of Labor, as you said has certainly identified this problem and is employing extreme measures to help negate this issue moving forward. Quick reminder, you're listening to payroll specialist Mark Kempter on Strategic Insights Radio, brought to you by Sterling Rose Consulting Corps. Now back to our host, the CEO of Sterling Rose, Vlad Ruse. And going back to the independent contractor situation, a lot of companies really do know that they should be classifying employees as independent contractors or vice versa, independent contractors as employees. But really, they're trying to not have to pay or more or less what they're doing is passing along that liability for the taxes to the employee versus having the company be responsible for it. And I think a lot of that stems from the owners not understanding or not being familiar with all of the things that they need to set up in order to properly have employees. Mm -hmm. And that's the next topic I want to get in uh, and talk to you about. And that would be as a small business owner, what do they need to do when they're hiring a new employee? So when they're hiring a new employee, there are very specific, um, forms and guidelines that, of course, an employer needs to follow. Um, We can start with E-Verify. It's a state-by-state. It's federal federal standards, but states 
sort of regulate who needs E-Verify, who doesn't. What E-Verify does is that ensures that the employees are eligible to work in the United States uh, currently. I can tell you that in Georgia, the um, if you have 10 or more employees, you're required as an employer to use E-Verify, as well as if you're doing any work on public job sites, you also need to use E-Verify. And I wanted to add in there, if you're in a area that's uh, designated a development zone and eligible for the employee credit, that's also one of the regulations from the state of Georgia in order to qualify to get that employee credit, you do need to use E-Verify as well. Oh, yeah. tax Employee tax credits, both at the federal and state level, those are the most underused taxes that that we're seeing in the marketplace right now. Um, they're so substantial and some, some just simply aren't aware of it. Some are putting them off. Um, those employee tax credits, you know, they, they could make six figure impacts on bottom lines here for businesses that we're seeing that are, you know, creating new jobs, even something as far as, um, eight employees, bringing on a new marketing team. Those are tax credits that are just the government is handing you. And for some reason or another, employers aren't taking advantage of that. Correct. And there's a lot of implications with that as well in terms of, and I think that's one of the reasons that really a lot of small businesses need to take a look at going through a little bit of additional paperwork initially to properly classify the employees, which is going to save them a lot of headache in the future, but also it's going to open them up to get those credits as well, both at the state and federal level. And then that allows them to go ahead and also, for example, there's a lot of other tax credits that they can also qualify for, such as retraining credits. So if you have an employee that you're retraining for a new job, there's tax credits for those as well. But if that employee is not classified as an as an employee, but rather an independent contractor, again, you don't get any of those benefits. So there's Correct. a there's a way to mitigate to mitigate a lot of that. Going into the record keeping. Now, this is one thing that I wanted to touch on because I think it's important for small business owners to understand. Are there any particular procedures or record keeping requirements that a small business needs to take into account as it pertains to its employees and its payroll. Sure. So um, as we were saying, the the E-Verify is definitely a piece of that. Um, as many of you know, the W-4 is the form that needs to be filled out as well as the I-9 and state new hire reporting. Um, there is a funny little quirk um, that the Department of Labor doesn't necessarily advertise. Um, and that is that the W-4 and the I-9 cannot exist in even in the same file by employee. And I'll tell you, um, that's just one of the tiny, many little things that the, the Department of Labor, when running through an audit, can find and can sort of expand upon um, when auditing a business. I know that for new hire reports, um, at least in the state of Georgia, you have 20 days not business days, days to file a new hire report with the state. Um, what that does, you know, 
puts the new employee on the radar, kind of gives the state a, 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 a good feel for, you know, any sort of tax revenue, tax income to be expected. And I'll, I'll say, going back to uh, classifying, misclassifying the Department of Labor, um, putting more weight behind trying to find these things. In the Department of Labor's eyes, these are all revenue measures. So any reason to come come into a business and, you know, oh, you're misclassifying an employee, oh, your new hire report didn't come through, that's just, that's what they're looking for. Any way to kind of mitigate that and stay under that radar um, is really where we kind of excel in the payroll industry. And going through the payroll process, there really is some good ways for small businesses to navigate this amount of paperwork that they need to do. And that really comes down to working with a reputable and knowledgeable payroll company that's going to be there to help you understand what forms you need to complete, how you need to file them, what documents you need to make sure you keep on hand in order to be compliant should you have an audit from the Department of Labor and to make sure that all the payroll taxes are paid, to make sure that all the filings are done on time. And really, that brings me to my next question, which would be, so who's responsible for withholding and paying federal and state taxes and how does that tax reporting process work? So the employee, the employer is certainly responsible for um, reporting payroll, depositing those taxes, filing those taxes. The way the reporting process works, um, we can start with the, the depositing process. It varies company to company, and the, the variance is based on the level of payroll, the threshold of payroll paid out. Um, for some of your higher payroll carrying employers, they're on a semi-weekly deposit schedule. So they're, they're making deposits to the tax agencies twice a week. For those that are, that are, um, less, less payroll, maybe 2,500 and less, you're looking at a quarterly to a monthly deposit schedule. Now you have your state, you have your local and you have your federal tax agencies. Everything varies from state and local. Um, I can tell you FUTA deposits due on the, or FUTA, FUTA filings are due annually through the 940. Quarterlies are due quarterly, obviously, through the 941. And um, in certain states, you have your unemployment and your incomes. Those vary quarterly to 940 or quarterly to annually to monthly um, from the filing standpoint. And so our, some of our listeners that their heads might be spinning right now try to un- <laughs> understand all of this. And Sterling Rose Consulting does provide payroll processing. Uh, we use, we're a wholesaler for ADP. And really, I want to highlight that a lot of this information is should be provided by the payroll company that you use. They should be the one that really can hold your hand through all of this. Once you have the proper processes in place, 
a lot of this is just automatic. It's not really an extra step that you have to do. Most of my clients, for example, for payroll, they either submit their hours through the payroll system or through email, and that's all they do. Everything else sure. is really taken care of. Um, and I wanted to go into the next uh, section, which is for companies looking at payroll companies and trying to figure out who they're going to use as a payroll processor. What are the top five reasons that really a company should use a payroll processing company and what should they look at when deciding which company to use? So there, there's a multitude of reasons to, um, so to speak, outsource your payroll. I've heard terms as far as payroll tax insurance. Um, I've heard, hey, they pay, I get paid on time. That's all I care about, right? So it varies employer to employer as to where they put the weight behind a payroll processor. I can tell you that payroll processing companies, they assume full liability. So I like to use the analogy, payroll is a wheel and taxes are part of that wheel that have been around for years and years and years. There's no, there's really no reinventing the wheel. All there is is fortifying the wheel that you choose. So where we come in is as, as payroll specialists, we come in and we, we take a, we assume full liability for those taxes so that, you know, if there's any sort of discrepancy or, um, misfiling or a missed deposit the payroll companies they'll they'll take on that liability they have ends with the with the agencies uh direct lines of communication that kind of thing so really what you're doing as an employer is taking away any sort of exposure because like i said you have there's all types of different thresholds as far as when you're supposed to make those deposits, um, deadlines, filings, and hey, in the small business world, um, people don't go, Joe the plumber didn't get into business to be an accountant and to handle all sorts of payroll and tax deadlines. He came in to business to do what he does best, and that is be a plumber. So why not? allow yourself to not be caught up in all these tasks that don't generate revenue for your business. Allow a specialist, allow someone that knows what they're doing, that automates the process for you to where, like you said, the level of involvement is they send employers, send in hours and they're done. They don't have to worry about anything else. Their checks are there. Their direct deposits are there. Um, their W-2s come at the end of the year and all appropriate filings are made and processed on time. Correct. And that's definitely how Sterling Rose does payroll. And a lot of payroll companies really do provide that full level of support. Now, that's not the case with all of them. And that's really something that small business owners need to take a look at when they're choosing a payroll provider that all of those things are getting done and that that liability passes from the employer to the payroll company. Because the last thing the employer wants to do is once they've hired somebody to do their payroll to come to the end of the year 
and all of a sudden none of the filings get done properly nothing gets submitted to the department of labor the tax taxes weren't deposited properly or there's issues with taxes not being calculated properly and this especially is important to any business that does that has employees in different states because that becomes even more complicated because now if you have an employee in another state then you also have to figure out where they need to pay taxes what you need to withhold and really understanding all of those aspects there and i can say for one that these are all very hard to keep track of a lot of even cpas stay away from doing nobody i mean nobody wants to do payroll by hand and nobody does anymore and that's why companies like adp outsource their great technology to accounting companies and to cpa firms to really be able to provide all of this at a very affordable price because otherwise it's hours and hours and hours of labor that you need to put into just make sure everything does get submitted correctly and even then it's probably not a hundred percent and these you're talking about a lot of different departments because you're dealing with the department of unemployment security you're dealing with the department of revenue you're dealing with the department of labor and you really need to understand that even for a seasoned professional it's impossible to try to deal with all of these on a regular basis and make sure everything's done right so that's why everybody at at most a lot of companies use a lot of good software in order to go ahead and provide that level of support that they need to make sure that everything gets filed correctly and they keep on top of everything and i wanted to get a little bit into also the the human resource aspect of payroll as well and that just lightly touch upon it along with payroll there's a lot of hr that needs to happen because that's typically payroll and hr go hand in hand sure and that becomes an issue for small businesses because as you know most people that anybody that's worked in a for any other company right in the break room you always have the huge chart that has all the regulations from 20 different government agencies it seems Mm -hmm. that nobody really reads oh you don't read those that's what i spend every lunch break doing i i see everybody in the in the break room yeah gathered around the newest labor law poster no i got you yeah absolutely there's a lot of material in there that may or may not apply to certain employees and quite frankly some of that material on there can really assist the employee as well as the employer of where they stand um, both federally and state levels but yeah to um to expand on your on the human resources piece so yes hr and payroll they do go hand in hand now where i say that payroll is a wheel that's not really reinvented where the reinvention process does go is from the hr standpoint let me tell you so anywhere from hiring to retiring and firing are all aspects of hr correct so i mean from hiring not only do you have to source your talent you got to take time to source the talent you got you don't want to just have so a candidate come in for a 45 minute long interview and after the first handshake you know you don't want to 
you're already into, oh man, why am I wasting the, my time with this candidate? Let's go beyond the, let's say they killed an interview and you're, they're ready and you want to hire them. Well, in order to help um, shield yourself from any risk and liability, depending on your industry, you're going to want to know where that person came from, what, what their background is. So you run background checks on them. All right, now they're hired. As we said, W-4s, I-9s, E-verification, all of those things start to apply. Um, and it's here. Now they're, now they're hired. Now they're starting. They have their shifts, ramp up, trainings. Like you said, there are tax credits involved, trainings, retrainings. Um, you want to ramp them up. You want to hire them or they apply for your job based on your job description. Too many times I come into small businesses, ask them, about their job descriptions and they say oh well yeah i got job descriptions covered basically it's task a task b task c and then whatever else i ask you to do ha 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 and the sad thing is is that they truly believe that this is all they need in a job description um you know you could run a beautiful organization with 30 great employees all it takes is that 31st employee to bring the whole ship down. Uh, so where human resources lies and w what its function is, is a proactive approach to protecting your business and your assets and your most important asset in a business is your employees. Um, moving on from job descriptions, you also have employee handbooks. These are processes and procedures where you know hey don't be late hey don't uh don't do a b wear this when you come to work that kind of thing that also negates that also negates any sort of wrongful terminations any sort of um lawsuits and things like that exactly and on another one of our programs we discussed that from an insurance perspective about protecting the company from that and um, that's very important for a company to really understand what their liability is as an employer. Quick reminder, you're listening to Sterling Rose Consulting Corps radio show, Strategic Insights Radio. It's uh, sponsored, of course, by Sterling Rose Consulting Corps, the CEO. Vlad Ruse is our host, and our guest today is payroll specialist Mark Kempner. Back to you, Vlad. Thank you, Mike. And... One thing I wanted to get into is a recent article that I had uh, come across. Um, and this is a statistic from 2012. And it's comparing, looking at wage theft. In the United States, in 2012, the value of wage theft was estimated at about $280 million versus only about $139 million for robberies. Now, what wage theft is, is when it, it goes both ways on the employee side and on the employer side. And really, as you said, it only takes that 31st employee to really sort of turn, turn the company on its head. And that can be as simple as, you know, most of your employees work nine to five, but you have employees that come in that are maybe coming half an hour early, want to get an early start on their their work or stay an extra half hour late, 
And in most scenarios for most businesses, when everybody has a 9 to 5 schedule, that typically is not an issue if the employee is properly compensated for it. But a lot of small businesses really don't take the time to do it. So they do 9 to 5. Everybody gets paid for the same amount of hours. And it really, you can have 30 employees that are, and it could run smoothly like that. But it, all it takes is that 31st employee to come in and say, hey, last week I worked two days past five o'clock and I didn't get paid for it. So now they're going to have, you know, you're going to have to go through Department of Labor if they're filing a complaint. And that's really important for employers to understand as well is that really when you're talking about hourly employees and even for now with the higher threshold that applies to a lot more even to what was previously as salaried if you haven't reclassified your employees and went to an hourly system you can very well run into a situation where an employee that before you were paying maybe 30 35,000 a year and that was putting in 60 hours of work. Now, all of a sudden, if you haven't t- taken a proactive role in reclassifying and setting up a new schedule and figuring out w- how you need to set up your company in order to continue paying that employee, either uh, trimming the hours they work or raising their salary to the tr- threshold so that they're, again, once, a- once again exempt... Because otherwise, you can very well end up that six months down the line, that employee comes back to you and says, well, I work 60 hours a week for the last six months. I need overtime. Sure. And that can be thousands and thousands of dollars. And for a small business, that can, you know, you have two or three employees that do that and it'll put you out of business. So it's important for employers to really understand and take a proactive role in a lot of these. And really, in my opinion, when you're talking about anything that's payroll and hr that's why it's it's very important to have a company that you can rely on to provide you with the most up-to-date information to make sure that you stay compliant that your employees are getting paid properly that time is being tracked correctly so that you really don't have to run into those issues and i mean this is a relatively new standard that has been passed and there, there will be companies that are not going to take that proactive role that are going to have issues and they really need to take a look at what they're doing. Yeah. And Vlad, I got, I have two words, time clocks. So basically you, you have, you have employees that, Hey, they'll go to lunch. Hey, will you, will you tell the boss that I'm here? I'm just in the bathroom. They'll call their, they'll call their buddy. We call it buddy punching. Having time clocks implemented stats show reduce, like you said, in the terms of wage theft, they reduce, they can, I should say, they can reduce up to 3% of your annual payroll costs because you get you have those employees down to the minute, down to the second that they clock in. You can set, you can set settings where, hey, you can't clock in five minutes before a shift. You can't clock in five minutes after the shift. Some, some employees take advantage. Um, different clocks will round up rounding rules so the quarter of the hour so if you if you clock out at say 108 it's going to round you as clocked out as 115 if you clock in at um 
1253 it's going to round you down to 1245 that kind of thing so you have you have all sorts of different ways that employees can beat the system what we're finding is is that it's becoming a it's becoming a theme of how can i sort of take advantage of these of things that are given to me that i can that are able to be taken advantage of one um one case in particular now this is an extreme case but i i i met a business owner who he was taken to court for back wages as you said and um his employees were pinging him in in this suit they were pinging him because he was they were both getting out of their cars at the same time and he was talking to them as they walked into the building they wanted they wanted to be paid for that time and guess what they got it say you say you arrive at the same time and you know how's everything going da 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 um well you're talking to your boss and you're on work grounds but i haven't clocked in yet you know that kind of thing we there are extreme cases out there that would that would extre- be extremely surprising and even you know to me is kind of a jaw dropper when i'm hearing these stories and you know um and you were digital digital clocks you have your bio hand scanners where it's not a code it's not hey i'm stuck at this light can you punch in my code it's hey take my hand and put put my hand on a on a clock is the only way that they can clock back in there's also geo clocks where if you have mobile mobile owner or mobile workers um you can set up geo fencing so that those workers they clock in through their smartphone but they can't clock in unless they're inside of the job site so they can't be driving down the highway 20 minutes late and say oh here i'm punched in it's not going to let them if they try it'll ping the business owner so there's a multitude of um of ways that that you can sort of cut back on those wage thefts as you said yeah definitely and uh just want to remind our listeners as well that a little commercial for sterling rose but this is exactly the kind of situations that we help our clients avoid and make sure that they're properly identified all of their risks and understand what they need to do in order to mitigate those things like proper time tracking system as well as making sure that when they run payroll that all of their liability is passed on to the payroll company that they don't have to worry about at the end of the year things haven't been filed correctly and really I would say for for most business owners, that's the most important thing. And I did want to end with uh, one quick thing, and that's going back uh, when I first started really learning about payroll and uh, uh, payroll liabilities and and payroll uh, and employment law. uh, For the small business owner, really payroll is always treated as another expense. And it's important to understand from being a business owner perspective that while for the business owner, it's another expense and most people think of it that way. And sometimes they try to cut corners to cut down on expenses or try to do things to make, to, to limit the amount of expenses they have to go ahead and pay out. The important thing when you're talking about employment law and the reason that 
the law sides so heavily with the employee is because, well, for the business, it's an expense. For that employee, it's their livelihood. It's it's their ability to you know, pay for housing, pay for their food, and live a comfortable life. So that's uh, an important thing to understand as a small business owner from the perspective of the employee. So it's important that really my recommendation is always that the system has to be fair. Both the employer and the employee have to be on the same page and have very clear understanding of what the responsibilities are. And really, the rest of the legal ramifications and paperwork needs to be done correctly to reflect that and to make sure that both from a personal and employer-employee relationship and from a legal relationship that everything is correctly spelled out and both parties understand what is expected of them. All right, Vlad, thank you very much. I want to thank Strategic Insights Radio. Vlad Ruz, our host of Sterling Rose Consulting Corps, and Mark Kepner, a small business payroll consultant. Strategic Insights Radio is sponsored by Sterling Rose Consulting Corps. For a free download of a white paper based on the subject of what small businesses need to know about payroll processes to mitigate risk, visit strategicinsightsradio.com. You'll also be able to find out more information about our guest, Mark Kempner, as well as our sponsor, Sterling Rose Consulting Corps. You can also call Vlad Ruse directly anytime at four. Well, not anytime, Vlad. You probably don't want calls at two in the morning. <laughs> but uh, you can call Vlad, uh, get his professional expertise at 470-238-9097. Future downloads of this show are also available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Until next time, this is Strategic Insights Radio right here on Business Radio X. <laughs> <laughs>